back to Headspace Adelaide's session podcast. My name's Claire and I'm from the community engagement team here at Headspace Adelaide. Today we're having a chat about eating disorders and I'm joined by Maddie, who is a young person with lived experience of anorexia nervosa. And she's agreed to join us today to share her reflections on her experience with disorder. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. No problem at all. So we're also joined today by Dr. Ranjani, who is the clinical director of the Butterfly Foundation. So the Butterfly Foundation supports young people impacted by eating disorders and body, body image issues. So Dr. Ranjani is joining us via Zoom for a chat. So thanks for making the time to be with us. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So I provided a little bit of an intro just there, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so uh, my name is Ranjini. I'm a clinical psychologist and I have an interest in working with people with eating disorders as well as um, borderline personality disorder. I've been at Butterfly for just over a year now. And um, before joining Butterfly, I was working as an academic, as an academic in university settings, training clinical psychologists, training other clinical psychologists. Um, when I'm not working as a psychologist or here at Butterfly, I like to spend time with my family and um, love traveling, although, of course, there's yes. very little of that <laughs> this past year, as everyone will, um, yeah, everybody knows. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do at the moment, my little, um, my daughter is very keen to have her ears pierced, but she's scared because she's worried yeah. about the pain. So as a family, uh, one of the things that we're doing at the moment, um, just to keep it interesting at home, is we're all identifying one thing that we're feeling really scared of doing and challenging ourselves and looking to push past our discomfort, I guess, to move yeah. towards something that is meaningful to us. So for my five and a half year old that is getting her ears pierced at the moment yeah. and the rest of us are also going to think about what is it that scares us that's such a fantastic idea I remember being scared of getting my ears pierced when I was little <laughs> but I think you know there's it's so great to be able to push past some of those fears and feel that sense of achievement when you do eventually get to that point oh absolutely and the conversations we have just really are around that you know that achievement sort of lies yeah. when you have that courage to take those steps um, to work sort of against whatever it is that's scaring you at that point in time yeah. and that's where achievement sort of lies and it so actually ties into kind of what we're talking about here you know any steps that anyone's um, taking towards recovery in terms of addressing mental illness or taking that first step in help seeking it requires so much courage and so mm -hmm. much um, support from your loved ones around you so yeah I'm really glad to be here and talking to you about this we appreciate your time as well so we wanted to start the conversation pretty basic so what is an eating disorder yeah so Claire eating disorders are really serious mental illnesses um, they can take many different forms um, and tend to interfere with a person's day-to-day -day life. Um, they can really impact the way that, you know, you view yourself, the way that you view your interactions with other people, and also your ability to, um, to, to be able to focus on things that are important to you, whether it be school or university, work or relationships. So a lot of the um, eating disorders are characterized by almost an unhealthy preoccupation, if you will, um, by things like eating, exercise, your body weight or shape. And these things start to become really concerning to the point where they can just sort of 
take over your um, life. One thing I would add to that also is that, you know, um, I, I started off by saying eating disorders are really serious mental illnesses. And I really can't underline that enough because there is a very common um, misconception. And unfortunately, it's a very common misconception that eating disorders can be a lifestyle choice or that they're a diet gone too far. But what we know is that this is not a choice that somebody makes for their life. Um, it's, it is something that is very serious and often can creep up on you without you even realizing it um, because it is so, it, it, they thrive in secrecy and it can yeah. sort of just um, become a very big part of your life before you realize it. Yeah. So if it, when you talk about that, like thriving in secrecy and things like that, and it being such a serious illness, what would you say are some of those um, symptoms or maybe warning signs that a young person is experiencing an eating disorder? So yes, um, many people with an eating disorder, Claire, don't always realise um, that they have an eating disorder. And this may be because they don't quite know what an eating disorder is, what it might look like. It's what we call um, eating disorder literacy or mental health literacy in general. So being able to identify the signs that you might have. On the other hand, um, you know, people might think that they have an eating disorder or be able to identify that something's not quite right. They might go to lengths to hide signs of their behavior. And this is not because the person with the eating disorder is trying to be manipulative, manipulative um, or intentionally deceitful. It's actually because the person often experiences a lot of shame or guilt about their behavior and they'll try to hide it. I mean, we don't want people to know about the things that we're doing that, you know, that we don't feel particularly proud of. Yeah. And so it makes sense that you would feel shame um, about that behavior and guilt. And so you don't necessarily want others to know about it. And really why that's dangerous is that you're not asking for help. You're not getting the help that yeah. you need. And also you're, you're sort of in hiding when we, when we engage in behaviors in secret, we're also um, disconnecting from others. So essentially we're sort of losing that social connection, which again is actually can be quite a protective factor as well when we're feeling unwell, um, especially when it comes to mental illness being able to have that social connection with people is so important so a lot of people with eating disorders often don't realize that they have a problem um, or you know they might not also want to give up that behavior because it also might be a way of their coping so you know if I'm feeling really poorly and badly at the moment then some of the ED behaviors might actually be helping me to feel better or alleviate the distress that I'm feeling. Yeah. So if I'm actually finding comfort in this behavior, then it makes sense that I don't want to give that yeah. behavior up and I'm not ready to give that up essentially. So, you know, really we're talking about warning signs and what you can look out for in yourself or maybe in your friends. Um, you know, young people can look out in, in their friends as well. Um, and it can be a combination of things um, because you know, we, we were talking earlier about what is an eating disorder. There are different types of eating disorders yeah. in the diagnostic statistical manual at the moment. There are um, four different eating disorders, um, you know, being um, those being anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder and other eating disorders. Yeah. So, you know, there's sort of four different um, disorders and so you can understand that the signs and symptoms for them are not going to be the same but also people are different they're not going to fit into yeah. categorical kind of um, uh, 
categories, I suppose. And so it really is important to be thinking, um, you know, I always say think along the signs of changes that might be occurring in behaviour. So some of those kind of warning signs that you might see behaviourally, some of the warning signs that you might see um, psychologically, Mm-hmm. and some of the warning signs that you might be seeing physically because eating disorders also can have some eating disorders can have a real sort of physical presentation um did, did you want me to give some examples of what those might be um if you'd like to yeah absolutely so you know in terms of the physical um warning signs it might a lot of the time it's surrounding weight loss so yeah. it might be like really sudden or rapid weight loss. Um, it might be quite a significant amount of weight loss, but also weight gain as well, because then, you know, you've got sort of yeah. the um, restricting eating disorders, but then you also have ones where there's more binging um, and binging with or without compensatory behaviours. Um, and so it might be sort of frequent changes in weight, whether it's going higher or lower, um, as well as, you know, again, if we're uh, talking about a lot of weight loss, um, especially for females, um, a change in their menstrual cycles um, might be something that um, people uh, that would be a big sort of warning sign I suppose and also just sort of changes in terms of energy um, feeling kind of fatigue being tired all the time so those are some of those sort of physical signs Um, and you couple those with the psychological kind of signs that we've already started to talk about you know which is withdrawing from your loved ones pulling back from social relationships um, an increased kind of preoccupation if you will with your body your weight your shape um uh, being really preoccupied with food or activities that relate to food um feeling really negative about your um the way you look your body image especially having kind of a really um high levels of body dissatisfaction and so forth yeah and the other thing too that comes up a lot because there is um eating disorders have a high comorbidity which means that they occur with a lot of other mental illnesses so changes in mood um changes in mood with um experiencing kind of quite low mood um in very extreme cases also um self-harming behaviors and suicidal um ideation can be present um so changes in mood and also high levels of anxiety and particularly at the early at the early sort of stages um you know, people might start to notice, hey, there's a real kind of um, elevated or heightened sense of anxiety around mealtimes. Yeah. Um, So those are sort of some of the things that you might see, um, which kind of relate to those behavioral kind of um, signs as well, which is, you know, there's a lot of dieting behaviors, it might be excessive exercise, um, self-induced vomiting or laxative use, uh, binge eating. So kind of, you know, when food is um, missing, if you will, from the, um, from the family pantry, um, you know, when if somebody's hoarding uh, food in their bedrooms and things yeah. like that. So, you... mm. no, that's fine. Go, go ahead. Go. I could go. I was just going to say I could go on because there are so many different ways in which this presents. Yeah. But I will pause now. Yeah. No, I think that's a really great overview um, and goes through the different signs and symptoms on, a, on different levels that someone could look out for. You're so right in that it's a, such a different presentation depending on what disorder we're talking about. And so it is a quite um, wide variety of things across that. Um, do you think anyone... 
who would you say gets an eating disorder? Great question. Um, absolutely just about anyone yes. can get an eating disorder. Yes. So, you know, it, it, there was a time when we used to think of eating disorders um, affecting a certain group of people. Yeah. Um, but really what we know from the evidence now that, that that is no longer the case at all. Eating disorders do not discriminate by um, age, gender, socioeconomic status, yeah. race, ethnicity. Um, so, you know, what we really know from the evidence is that um, eating disorders can impact just about anyone um, yeah. and really do occur across the lifespan as well. Yeah. So it can be someone who is, um, you know, preteen in their childhood or early, um, sorry, late childhood or early adolescence, but you also see, you know, first-time presentations of eating disorders um, later on in life. What we do know in terms of if we're just talking about it from a um, from the data, what we know from the data is, of course, that um, the highest sort of um, point of onset, if you will, for eating disorders tends to be in that early adolescent sort of period, um, you know, you're 12 to 14, 15 years of age. Um, and really that corresponds, I suppose, with so much that's going on in a young person's life at that point in time, some major transitions, finishing off primary school, going into high school. Um, there's often changes related to your body. We know that, you know, uh, as we're growing and maturing, our bodies are developing in a different way. People are starting to notice and interact with our bodies, which, um, you know, it's a huge issue culturally but people are starting to notice and interact with our bodies in a different way um, and we might also be noticing changes in our body that we don't feel quite comfortable with so we do know that that tends to be almost kind of a peak if you will in terms of when we see presentations in clinical settings but having said that um, certainly the data is very clear that it does really affect people across the yeah. lifespan. And I think that's such an important point to make um, if we talk about stigma and mental literacy around eating disorders that it can affect anyone. I think there was a time where we did think it was a certain cohort of people that only experienced it and the fact that it does reach across the lifespan is I think important to remind people of. Um, I'm kind of interested, do we know um, much about the causes of an eating disorder for someone? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, what we know is that eating disorders don't tend to have a single yeah. identifiable cause. You can't say X happened, therefore an eating disorder happened. Um, you know, there are very many um, risk factors that have been identified in the literature um, and essentially these risk factors increase the chances of an eating disorder developing. Um, and so some of those kind of risk factors, again, you know, we kind of tend to think of them in buckets of, you know, psychological risk factors, social risk factors, um, you know, what's happening in your environment, what your genes sort of come, uh, you know, genetic and biological kind of markers as well. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, is it a range of causes? And it's not really just one thing that might impact someone and then lead to this. 
No, absolutely not. So it's not any one thing. And if we think about some of those social factors, for example, um, you know, and this is particularly something that young people may be able to identify with, you know, there's, um, I I was saying earlier about how as we kind of come into that adolescent period, people might be observing and interacting with our bodies in a different way. And really what I mean by that is that there is almost this cultural value in a way that is placed um, and there's such an emphasis in terms of what someone should look like. And there are so many sort of um, images out there um, through media, through pop culture, through social media that, um, you know, young people might uh, really place an untoward or a heightened amount of um, value on their outward experience, uh, mm-hmm. appearance, sorry, not outward experience, outward appearance. Yeah. And so there's this sort of significant kind of pressure to look and feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And with that, you can also really kind of, that's one of the social factors that might increase your risk of developing an eating disorder. You know, we also talked earlier about um, who can uh, develop an eating disorder. What we also know from the research is while eating disorders can impact just about anyone, there are certain subgroups within the population that tend to, um, you know, perhaps have higher rates um, within those groups. And those also include some of those professions, I suppose, that have an emphasis on body shape and size. And so this is various athletes, um, dancers, uh, you know, gymnasts, so really any any of those sort of professions or um, activities that place quite a bit of emphasis on weight and maintaining a certain Mm. weight or shape in order to continue to engage with that. And again, in that early adolescent period, this is also when you're in high school, you are probably starting to um, strive towards excellence in your chosen field or chosen field of passion, whether it be ballet or, um, you know, rugby for you know, for different people. So there are sports um, that might have that emphasis as well. So there's those sort of social factors um, and also some of those external factors, especially that relate to um, young people. You know, we already talked about those transitions, the major kind of life events moving from primary school to high school, for example, but it may also be a time where, you know, you might lose a family member, divorce and separations of parents is quite, um, tends to be quite common around that age as well. But what we're really also coming into in that early adolescent period is sort of peer pressure and um, increased stress as well as they kind of in school, there's more pressure to perform working towards HSC um, and also potentially having to kind of navigate those sexual relationships um, and intimacy um, and so forth that is developmentally appropriate, I suppose, at that age, but can also put a bit of extra pressure. Yeah, Um, I think they're all really good points. And it's great you've been able to provide sort of a wide variety of the different things that might um, evolve and turn into an eating disorder. We've kind of spent a lot of time talking about the symptoms, what an eating disorder is, and that evolution to get to an eating disorder, if you will. Um, Can people recover from an eating disorder? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I have to, um, I can't emphasise that enough because I do think that, um, you know, it is a very scary thing um, when you have an eating disorder and it can, you know, we do know from, again, the literature and the evidence that it can be quite a remitting and relapsing kind of presentation in eating disorders. Um, that, that, that is very true. But what we also know that having access to the right type of treatment and being able to access the right treatment 
early on can have really good outcomes and prognosis. Um, at Butterfly, we certainly uh, believe that recovery, full recovery from an eating disorder is possible. And it's really important, I think, for people to hear that because oftentimes, again, it becomes when you have an eating disorder, what it can feel like one of those sort of um, illnesses where it feels like there is no return from. And I think it's really important to note that with the right type of treatment, the outcomes can be really achievable and really good for people. That's amazing to hear. I think we all agree about early intervention being so critical and why mental health literacy is so important. And so it's been amazing to have you on here on the podcast to sort of share and educate us a little bit more around eating disorders. Is there anything else you'd like to add at the end? No, absolutely not. Thank you so much for your um, for covering this topic. We were talking earlier before we started the recording, I guess, about how important this is to be able to have um, opportunities to be able to um, talk to the younger cohort, um, to young people in terms of being able to access help um, and also really pushing past those excuse me, pushing past those boundary, uh, boundaries and fears that someone might have in accessing treatment. Um, I think it can be a very scary thing to seek help, um, but I really do think that um, this is very helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Not a problem. Great. Maddie, I'd love for you to jump in now and could you give us a little bit of background of yourself and your initial journey that led to your diagnosis? Sure. I'm Maddie. Um, some background on me is some things that I love about beach walks, especially when dogs are involved. <laughs> <laughs> Hiking and being with people I care about. However, things were quite different for me when I was 15, and this is where my eating disorder journey really began. I was lucky enough to be accepted to go on exchange to Oman, which is a country I knew very little about then. Oh, wow. But I was really excited and I had a lot of free time while I was there, which at the time I thought would be awesome because I could focus on learning about the new culture that I was living in and like meeting new people. Um, but unfortunately, most of my days just consisted of hanging out in my temporary bedroom and watching YouTube and flicking through books, scrolling on my phone um, because my exchange partner had a lot more schoolwork than I did and mm -hmm. she seemed to avoid me a lot at school. Um, and as a new girl at school, I'd get heaps of messages, countless messages from fellow students each day who wanted to get to know me, but I still felt really alone and isolated. And I noticed I was lost in my own thoughts a lot. I didn't have as much energy as usual. Mm -hmm. I thought things would get better after I got home, but things had changed there too. After living in such isolation, I felt like such a different person. I couldn't connect with my friends anymore. I felt distant from my family. And I'd spent hours on my phone just scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and afterwards not being sure what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as my relationship with others started changing, so did my relationship with food. And I no longer saw it as something to enjoy, like normal. I rather feared it. Um, and my relationship with exercise was changing as well. But it kind of looked like I was making healthy adjustments to my lifestyle. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of people would congratulate you for something. Like, you know how the diet culture that we have in society at the moment, if you're seen as being healthy and things like that, people don't really question it. They kind mm. of just think that that's, oh, great, you're looking after your body. Yeah, yeah, looking after yourself, exactly. Yeah. People, yeah. people would tell me that I was looking after myself a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of what I thought I was doing in some way as well, partially, yeah. I think. Um, but, yeah, I 
yeah, I didn't know that I was starting to be fooled by an eating disorder already. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. And then once school began, I noticed that I didn't feel like myself at all anymore. Mm -hmm. I just felt completely lost. I'd lost a lot of my friends. I felt like I was stuck in one of those zones <laughs> and I couldn't like hear anyone or interact with anyone yeah. I was just like very literally yeah yeah alone very out of it I yeah. just felt like I couldn't play an active role in my own life I was just watching myself from above yeah wow. it was a really weird feeling <laughs> um and when I did interact with people I, I was quite often short and irritated with them which is very unlike me. Definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it would just come across, I'd feel like, oh, who is that person that just did that? Like, it, it didn't really feel like myself. Yeah. And, you know, I'd feel threatened if people offered me food, if my parents were like, oh, would you like the extra, you know, whatever we were eating for dinner, the extra, like, sausage roll or something. <laughs> um, and I would feel threatened. I think they wanted me to gain weight. There was this, I was very suspicious of, of what they wanted um, by offering that food. Yeah. And I still thought I was keeping healthy despite my whole life basically being taken up by food thoughts and behaviours. I remember I was in class and I would be in class and I wouldn't be able to listen to what was going on. Like I would just mm. be thinking about you know, my behaviours and what was, you know, what I was going to be eating next. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought that I could stop at any time that I wanted. So I resolved at one point that I was going to start eating normally again, but then I found out that I couldn't and that's when I knew something was really wrong because whenever I tried to eat how I used to, my heart rate would increase, I'd feel sick and I'd just avoid it, I'd fail at eating normally. Yeah. And, yeah, that was just a huge shock because I really did think it was all in my head and once I decided that that's not how it would be anymore, yeah. that's, you know, but it, it was kind of a trap. That's how it felt. Yeah. I appreciate the point that you made that at the time you thought you were making these healthy adjustments to life, but you were unaware that they were actually unhealthy decisions and it wasn't until you went to make a change in the behaviour that you realised that. Um, you've talked a lot about that rather distressing time in your life that, to led sorry to realizing that you might be needing some support um can you tell us a little bit a bit about how you reached out for that support once you realized this was all going on for you yeah sure so yeah I knew I needed to get help but I had a lot of fears around seeking support um I was worried I'd let my family down by asking for help I'd worry I was worried that like people at school would find out and they'd think I was weird or attention seeking um, I was scared that even if I did get treatment, I wouldn't get better and it would just end up being worse. So I thought it might just be easier to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. But eventually I was just so exhausted that I couldn't keep going without telling someone. So I told my, I decided to tell my boyfriend and I brought it up. When I first brought it up, I said vaguely something like, I'm having a few problems with eating and food at the moment. Yeah. Which is <laughs> very vague and confusing for like, how, like did he, how did he take that comment? I think, you know, he just didn't really know what to do as a 16 year old boy. He was just kind of like, all right. Like, you know, he was supportive, but he just like didn't know what it was. And to be fair, like, neither did I. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, that was fine. But honestly, helping it helped me to tell him yeah um because once I'd told him I felt like I could finally tell my parents yeah um it was kind of like a little practice run for yes. them yeah um and when telling them I felt really awkward and uncomfortable but I knew it was the right decision and I felt like 
you know, I was letting them see a side of me they'd never seen. And I was like shattering the image of the perfect daughter that I'd created. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I think it definitely did that. Um, but I don't think that was a bad thing in yeah. the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah, even now I have a much more open relationship with them than I ever did. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and after telling them, they were really proactive about finding help for me. So we went to see the GP and I got referred to two psychologists, um, one eating disorder specialist and then another one as well because the first one had a really long wait time. Yeah. As, as yeah. they do. So, yeah. yeah. And how was that experience then with the psychologist? Yeah, um, it was quite daunting at first. Like I didn't really know what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd never seen anyone before like that. Um, and I found, but after a few sessions, like after opening up about it, I found it quite helpful. Um, and I found like the initial psychologist was really good to like get me through into the eating disorder specialist because that time was really hard, mm -hmm. um, just on the waiting list. Yeah. Um, and one thing that was really helpful was trying to externalize the eating disorder thoughts and seeing them as separate from like, Maddie's thoughts. Yeah. And, and that was came about from discussions with your psychologist. Yeah, yeah she yeah. like it was her idea to do that, and that was really helpful. Um, just getting through that interim phase. Yeah, um, before I could start um, full on treatment. Yeah, that's great. You had those supports around you, and you're willing to reach out, and that you managed to get a psychologist. I guess in the interim, before you ended up mm. at the specialist with that specialized support, yeah. and that you were kind of proactive in that as well. Um, how did you feel when you started seeing the specialist and maybe received that diagnosis around it all? Yeah, when I was fully diagnosed um, with anorexia nervosa, it was it was a real shock. Um, even though I kind of knew it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still like, wait, what? No, like this isn't my life. It felt really um, like surreal. Um, is it hard when you put a name to it? Like, yeah, I yeah. guess. I don't know. I just felt like I was in like a movie or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I, would, I never thought that I would have a problem that could have a name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it just it really felt like not my life. Um, but at the same time, it, it kind of felt a bit relieving as well because I finally, you know, it, it kind of made it more serious mm -hmm. and it made it like it wasn't just something that was happening in my head. It was like a proper problem that yeah. I could get help with. Yeah. Um, but I remember waiting in the waiting room and looking around and seeing the other people that were getting treated by the eating disorder specialists and thinking, you know, I just couldn't relate to them. But I just kept thinking that, you know, other people would see me like I see them and yeah. I just couldn't couldn't believe that I was, yeah that, it was kind of that whole thing of it not feeling like my life yeah yeah um yeah and I think I also remember um you know after the diagnosis I was told a lot more about the physical consequences of mm -hmm. um restricting your food intake and that kind of thing and I remember just being quite shocked about you know apart from things like losing weight obvious things yeah the like drastic impact it has on your body yeah. I just think I never really knew about that and it made yeah. it definitely more serious and gave me more motivation to keep going with treatment yeah that's great they were able to give you I guess something that whilst is maybe not a distressing thing to hear mm. it's great that you're able to turn that I guess into a motivation that you didn't want to end up having these long-term effects onto your body yeah and yeah we utilize that yeah yeah definitely and after that diagnosis, I also noticed like a lot of the stigma associated with yeah. eating disorders. I found I was more sensitive to hearing comments like, oh, she looks so anorexic and, you know, just 
all the references to eating disorders in TV shows and movies as well. Yeah. And I realised that part of my hesitance to seek help was partially because I was, you know, I kind of self, you know, internalised that stigma and thought, oh, this isn't serious. Like there's a lot of, you know, comments around it being a vain lifestyle choice. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I think part of me was like, maybe that's true. Maybe I don't deserve help because, Mm. yeah. Yeah. So because that's kind of what we're told. And then also with the diet culture like you talked yeah. about before, that was a big thing. Like it felt like all my friends were losing weight. So this was normal. So therefore I didn't need to seek help. Yeah. Or, you know, I didn't have a problem because it probably helped yeah. some of that normalizing of what you were doing anyway. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It just it felt like every second person I know was trying to lose weight. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important point that you make about diet culture and what we've kind of already touched on a little bit. I mean can kind of seem like that disordered eating is a healthy approach mm. but I think and I think there's starting to be a shift but it's great that you've been able to um shift your thinking on this and you're willing to chat about it to help educate others when sorry what has been helpful in um your recovery from the eating disorder we kind of touched on the psychologist and the family support things like that would you say yeah definitely the help of my family and and getting professional treatment is why I'm here today yeah and um, it was when I saw the second psychologist, the specialist, that treatment was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah. It was just so intense. Uh, it was, there was no breaks. I had to take time off school to, you know, go through it. It just, it revolved around like changing my behaviors around food. Yeah. So it was like a very strict, like um, diet plan basically for yeah. me that I had to follow. And luckily my mom was able to take work off so she yeah. could help me through it. Would you say that it was worth putting in that even though you say it was yeah. like the hardest thing <laughs> you had to do? Yeah. It was so yeah, it was the hardest but most like worthwhile thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um it definitely, you know, at first I don't know, I felt a bit of I don't know, I think I did I did feel like, oh should should I have done this? Like should yeah. you know, I'm kind of in 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 far more depth than like, I thought I was going to be yeah but then you know it got easier um just as I kept going I just had to keep yeah. going and yeah definitely worth it in the end because it great. like allowed me to be free of my eating disorder yes of course yeah yeah um and yeah I definitely just friends and family that supported me and my boyfriend who I'm still with today um yeah they've really helped me and they continue to help me to mm-hmm. stay on a healthy path mm-hmm. that's so great yeah how do you feel about the future I guess then of managing your mental health kind of sounds like you're in a positive mindset yeah. and you're kind of looking <laughs> forward to things yeah yeah definitely um well it's still like you know issues come up mm-hmm. with everyone with their mental health and every day is not perfect for anyone but I've been able to cultivate some helpful coping strategies to help weather the storm of life. Mm -hmm. And um, I also know that like, because of what what I've been through, what seems healthy for other people, like joining a gym might not be the best option for me. Yeah. But I know there's other ways that I can look after my physical health that won't risk my mental health. And yeah, I think my life motto since that (laughs) period in my life was um, everything in moderation. That's my current one because during my age sort of everything was just so black and white and really yeah. extreme and now I just take a more moderate and self-compassionate approach to things that's so cool yeah. thank you for sharing your story today I think it's really powerful when we're able to put a lived experience approach to some of these different disorders that we've been chatting about I think it's really interesting the 
the experience you've had, I don't think, is necessarily like there'd be lots of people out there that might have had a similar experience and the diet culture that we've talked about and the shift of everyone might be around you losing weight, but there's having the ability to self-reflect on is it, uh, I guess, a healthy thing that's going on for me right now, being able to reach out and have that support. And I think it's amazing that you were able to reach out and yeah, I hear today you've been able to share your journey. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for yeah letting me share what I've been through. And, yeah, it's definitely thanks to all the people around me. Yeah, of course. So very lucky. If this podcast has brought up any feelings for you as a listener, please reach out. Um, your local Headspace Centre is able to support, and we also acknowledge that the Butterfly Foundation is a great place to gain support. We have some resources um, in the description of this uh, podcast, but there's also our website. It's in the Butterfly Foundation's website. And also I want to thank Dr. Ranjani as well for the time. It was great to have that clinical perspective. Thank you.